everybody. Welcome to Salmorum Liber. That's Latin for studying the Psalms. And this is a series that I'm going to be going through in the book of Psalms, the whole book of Psalms. So starting in chapter one, and we'll go all the way through to chapter 150. And so these series of podcasts are available to you to listen to at your own leisure, to sit down and maybe use in your personal study time or reflection time or commuting time, whatever you would like. Hope you find them helpful, uh, useful, and uh, I hope that they help you not only grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also in your experience and worship of him. Thanks very much. Take care. So I've spent a lot of time in my teaching and preaching career, if you want to label it that, working my way through the New Testament, and for good reasons, right? There's lots of real deep uh, theology. There's the history of the church. There's the Gospels. There's Romans. There's Hebrews. There's Revelation. There's all those things that are there. But I did feel challenged to devote myself to a series in the Old Testament and was encouraged by some distant mentors that I have who don't know that they're my mentors, but hence the term distant mentors, um, to pick something that would challenge me uh, and that would take a long time to work through. Uh, Some of you know that in previous studies we've spent, I've spent years in a book, three and a half years in John, probably the same in Romans, four or five in Hebrews, if not one, three to five in Hebrews. I can't remember exactly, but long times in books and encouraging me to, to just take a long time to work through something. Uh, and I was encouraged to teach my way through the Psalms. Uh, and so this really is the beginning of that journey. And I'm, I'm really glad that you're here with me. And uh, I'll be doing this if one person shows up or 10,000 people show up. So um, we're just going to keep plugging along. And it was the Psalms, ironically, along with the book of Romans, that Martin Luther was teaching when God touched him and began to reveal to him the importance of justification by faith alone and worship. And the, the Psalms played a significant role in his development of his 95 theses that, uh, that he hung on the door. And so the format, like I said earlier, the format and interaction of what we're going to do on Thursday nights may change as we slowly walk our way through. Some of it may be, may be more preachy. Some of it will be more teach related, a little more uh, hands-on related. I'm not particularly interested in covering a huge wath of a chapter, like if a chapter's got 25 verses in it, um, I may just break it up and take four or five verses at a time and then the following week do the same thing. Um, The Psalms really teach us a couple things. One, they teach us about ourselves. They teach us a lot about ourselves, especially when crisis comes. And if you've heard me for any length of time, I've always said to people, we need to develop a level of theology about suffering and about who God is in that suffering before we enter suffering. Because if you wait until you're in it to begin building that theology of God, specifically around suffering and pain and, and even when God seems quiet, if you wait for those moments to come to do that, it's too late and, and you'll be skewed and scarred and, and have a really hard time figuring stuff out. 
a good example of that right now is Tim Challies. Uh, he lost his son not too long ago. Um, surprisingly lost his son, like just dropped uh, in a field at down at seminary uh, during COVID. And um, he, if you follow his blog, you've noticed that he's been writing through his grief and it's, it's gut wrenching to read some of it because I'm a parent and, and I, it's easy for me to connect to what he's writing about. Not because I've suffered the death of a child like he has, but I can empathize with him. But one of the things that rings true is that he's had his theology of God nailed down about suffering and about walking through suffering and pain before that event happened. And uh, he'd be one to ring really clear on this uh, important piece that we really need to get our theology of God right uh, as soon as we can. And I think, I think Psalms really helps us do that. It teaches us to do that. It teaches us to relate to other people right? Especially those who are not friends of Christ. Uh, it helps us deal with those who are enemies of God and enemies of Christ and not what I would call passive enemies. We see a lot in the Psalms, this, this, this um, feeling and frustration and even sometimes anxiety towards those who are active uh, enemies of God and those who belong to God. So it's going to teach us how to relate to those kinds of situations and those kinds of people. Most importantly, though, it's going to help us relate to God. And um, I'll unpack that as we go along today. It's also going to teach us how to pray. It's going to teach us how to pray. It's going to teach us what to pray. It's going to teach us how to worship. And in fact, I, I, I was reading and listening my way through the preparation. And one person said that the book of Psalms really engenders the worship of God. It just, it seeps it into us. We can't avoid it. Uh, and he went on to say that Psalms, the Psalms, or he calls it the Psalter, but I just said Psalms are God's words given to us in order that we might have the words to give to him. And I found that powerful, found that powerful because um, I think I said it last week in our, in our care group that, you know, the, the almighty God of the universe who's created everything and, and is in charge of everything and has planned everything. He's sovereign. He's majestic. He's, he's, he's pure is also tender and loving and caring and personal. And I would, I would never say, to somebody who's going through grief, it's okay to, to, to shout and be angry at God for a bunch of different reasons. But I think it's still good for us to express our feelings to God because he wants us to. And I know that there have been times in a lot of people's lives where it's been hard to do that because you just don't have the words. Right. And when you go to pray, it's just, you don't even know what to pray. You're just groaning literally. And yet we look to the Psalms and we see the authors and Psalms expressing sometimes the exact thing that we're feeling and the exact thing that we're going through. So Psalms are God's words given to us in order that we might have the words to give to him. So I want to go through a little thing, a little thing about the Psalms before we start breaking down some of the more uh, interesting and cool things. Psalms is, I'm sure you already know this, but the book of Psalms is the largest book of the Bible. It also contains the largest chapter in the Bible, chapter 
119. It also contains the shortest chapter in the Bible, chapter 117, which only has two verses in it. I don't know why they made it a chapter, but it's got two verses in it. So God is sovereign over all that. Um, the most quoted Psalm in the New Testament, according to a lot of people, is Psalm 110. In fact, Psalm 110 verse 4 receives what one person called a significant explanation in Hebrews chapter 7. So one verse in Psalms 110 verse 4 receives a significant explanation in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, Psalms back in the Hebrew language meant praises. And in fact, this is a book of praises. It's the book of Psalms and that what led, that's what's led to the name. And the book of Psalms has been referred as the book of Psalms a number of times in the New Testament. Jesus himself said in Luke 20, uh, saying to uh, the Pharisees, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. In Acts chapter 1, we read there, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate. This is talking about Judas and his death. And they quote uh, Psalms in, in Acts chapter 1. In fact, they, they refer to it as the book of Psalms. And one other person said that the God who acted for his people should be praised by his people. And, and one of the main ways for his people to praise him is to use the book of Psalms. And, and we see that through church history, right? From the earliest church history, all the way up until the late 18th, early 19th century, where the church itself used hymns to, uh, from the Psalms to praise him, right? It, it, was, it hasn't been very long that contemporary music has, has made their own worship music, per se. For centuries, the church has just used the book of Psalms as, as their psalm book. Uh, the book of Psalms is profoundly theological, okay, profoundly theological, but it defies, and I love this, it defies the dissection of its parts into dogma and standalone creeds. We're going to see that the book of Psalms weaves theology and practice so tight that you can't, you can't separate the two of them, okay? In fact, one person went on to say that the book of Psalms is truly art and science, so intricately intertwined, they cannot fall into either category with any simplicity. So theology in the Psalms emerges from the relationship of God's people to their God. The writers of the Psalms interact and respond to God in prayer and in praise because of and the foundation of this covenant relationship that God has to his people. In fact, you'll see that come out in a lot of these Psalms, especially from David, where it's almost like he's reminding God of the covenant relationship. It's one thing that David reminds himself of. It's also very interesting that there is no aspect of life that does not appear in the Psalms. And that was another reason why I decided to pick Psalms as um, the book to work through. And it's interesting, too, to me that the theology of the Psalms is not caught in the high philosophical or in the abstract. But I, it sits in what I call the crockpots. 
<laughs> it sits in the crock pots and provides a rich meal for the Christian, deep in flavor, rich in sustenance, satisfying the soul. Even in the toughest, darkest moments of our lives. So, did you know that the Psalms is not the only book containing songs and praises to God in the Old Testament? So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break you into two groups. And I would like you to try and find a few songs that are not in the Psalms, but are in the Old Testament. Okay? I'm going to break you into groups. And then I'll bring you back. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because there there were a bunch of people who uh, were writing about uh, poetry and song in the Psalms, and a lot of them were saying that actually, as much as one half of the Old Testament is a song. It written in some kind of song format. Mm. And we have to remember that, and I'll talk a little bit about this when we get to the poetry piece, but there's a huge difference between uh, Hebrew poetry, Hebrew song, and European or Westernized poetry and song. Uh, and it has a lot to do, and I get out of my element when it comes to this stuff, uh, but it has a lot to do with meter and rhyme. Although some of that stuff does exist in the Hebrew poetry, it's not based on that, Okay. And we'll touch on that a little bit. But here's some other ones for you to write down and, and look, go and look at later. Uh, maybe you've heard of them. Uh, there's one called the Song of the Sea in Exodus 15 or, or Song of Moses. You've already mentioned that. Uh, Song of the Ark in Numbers chapter 10. And somebody said the oracles of Balaam are a song. And that would be found in Numbers 23 to 24. In Deuteronomy 33, it was pointed out that the blessing of Moses uh, could be a song. Mm. Uh, Judges 5, you identified the song of Deborah. Uh, in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to 10, that's the song of Hannah. Ta-da! Uh, and then you've came up with a whole bunch of other ones, which is not surprising because I do believe that at least half of that Old Testament is written in, in almost a song form. And it makes sense, right, ladies and gentlemen, because we, we know that a lot of information in, that, in those eras, right, in those centuries, a lot of that information was passed down orally. There was some written stuff, and there, I mean, we're not saying that they were illiterate, um, but they, they, they committed a lot of stuff to memory, and they would do that using song. And, and Janice, you would know a lot about this with teaching uh, the younger people that if we put stuff into a song, same with you, Rachel, uh, same with you, Marika, um, that if we put stuff into a song, it's easier to remember, right? Like Rachel, you could probably sing for us the, the nine systems of the body. You don't need to do that right now. Um, yeah. But uh, it's just, it makes sense, right? Uh, I, I know as soon as I start hearing a tune on the radio for music that I listened to when I was a young teenager, the, the lyrics come right back. Uh, it's amazing. And in fact, uh, there's an interesting um, study research project going on with people who suffer from Alzheimer's and they're, they've been finding out that if the person listens to music, a specific kind of music that they really felt connected to in a, in a certain time of their life, 
their memories would come back. And it was just like unlocking a door. And, and it really moves you to tears to see it because they, they, they've, they really change. Like their whole demeanor changes. They, it's almost like they come alive. Um, it's, it's that powerful. Hi, Janice. Hi. Maybe I'll get Tom to mute himself because I got this echo. But I was gonna. I, um, I Janice cannot think when I hear. <laughs> I cannot think when I hear my echo. Yeah. Anyways, there was a study also done uh, with playing uh, certain classical music when learning things like math or literature. Yeah. And even though it's not like the nine systems of the body that Rachel might like learn and teach her kids. Uh, it, it does actually help us to retain information that that beat that that particular uh, rhythm that goes in uh, a lot of classical music. They, they find it a lot in Beethoven and Bach and Mozart. They have that beat and they say it's really, really advantageous to listen while you're learning things like numeracy and literacy or even a different language. Yeah, yeah, really good points. Thank you. Um, and that, that's where I plug in my uh, my plug for heavy metal music for Christian, because uh, there's a there's a close parallel to classical music and Christian heavy metal music. Um, I'm not kidding. It, there's a it, it doesn't sound the same. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the way the songs are written and the way the notes are played. It's very, very similar. Uh, and, and so, um, yeah. Just wanted to put that plug in because I love Christian heavy metal and I'm not afraid to say that out loud just right now. Wouldn't it be sweet if um, any of us do suffer from Alzheimer's, but when we hear the word of God that we've memorized in the past, it brings us back to the moment. Yeah. That would be really nice. Especially mm -hmm. if it's sung, right? Because because yeah. that seems to be the key. Oh, it needs to be sung, huh? Yeah, that, mm -hmm. that seems to be the key with these patients yeah. is that it needed to be some form of music. Um, yeah. that, that brought them uh, out of their state. Oh, uh, good, yeah. good. So lots of stuff to show us that the old Testament is not just a bunch of words and sentences and, and narrative written down, but it's a lot of it has this, this feel, this pulse of music to it, which is really, really interesting. Uh, especially when we get to the book of Psalms, because again, the book of Psalms is a book of praises. It helps us worship the Lord. Okay. Um, we see this in a bunch of different ways. Uh, I'm going to point out a few of them to you. One called parallelism. And we look at Psalm 103 verse 10, and it says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And you'll see this use of parallelism a lot in the book of Psalms. And that's one reason why some people find the book of Psalms easier to memorize than other sections of scripture because of the parallelisms. Okay. Another section that would uh, appeal to that is Psalm 93, three, the floods have lifted up. O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's very parallel and, and almost step-by-step step easy to remember. There's, there's a definite cadence uh, to some of the Psalms that we see. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the poetry as, as we get closer to the, to the center of today's uh, session. Um, one other thing to, to look at is that the, the book of Psalms uh, can be grouped into three large categories of Psalms. And I'll, I'll break these down a little bit more than these three mega or meta categories, but there's really three large overarching themes found in the book of Psalms. The one is praise. That's one of the most obvious ones. Um, so it's an appeal to praise to the Lord, his role as creator, sustainer, the one who st stabilizes, 
right? And our provider. Uh, an example of this would be found in Psalm 8, 1 to 2, where it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants, Anna. Uh, you have established strength because of your foes. Okay. Um, and, and so that's one overarching uh, meta theme. Another one was we find is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And that, and that's that idea where this, this idea of being thankful for everything that we have, because it, it, it kind of bridges an praise to another form uh, that we find in the Psalms and that's lament, right? Where the person, the author is seeking deliverance from trouble and distress and enemies, their own personal sin, suffering, oppression, and they, and they cry out to the Lord. Right. And, and in Psalm 22, uh, later on in the Psalm, it says, but you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help come quickly to my aid, deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And that's a, that's a cry of lament, uh, to the Lord. And in Psalm 130, it says there, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so there's, there's this idea of, of lamenting in, in circumstances, whether they're consequences of sin or circumstances that enemies are surrounding us or catastrophes that are going on around us. And so this idea, this meta theme of thanksgiving bridges or rests between the idea of praise and lament, right? Um, and, and in the heart of all of these, we, we find the authors wrestling with sin and treachery and oppression, but you will usually turn towards a thanksgiving an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 13. That is very, very clearly that way, where at the end of the Psalm, David says, uh, but I will trust in you for you have dealt bountifully with me. Right. And the beginning of the Psalm, it's, it's, it's real. Uh, it's, it's really a prayer of anxiety and fear and uh, not knowing what's going to happen. But at the end, he, he capsulates it essentially by saying, all these things may be going on, but I'm not going to worry because you've always been good to me and I will trust you for that. Right. So there's, there's this idea of Thanksgiving. Another one that we could look at, it would be Psalm 104 where it says, may the Lord, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works who looks on the earth and it trembles who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord. As long as I live, I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord. O my soul praise the Lord. And so there are, there are a bunch of different categories uh, in the Psalms. Um, these three are not the only three. They're the main meta, like I said, the meta themes in the book of Psalms, but you also have Psalms that are labeled Royal Psalms or or sometimes they're called messianic psalms. And so like Psalm 2 or Psalm 18 and Psalm 101 would fall into that category. There are some psalms that have been labeled liturgical psalms, 
psalms that are meant to guide the church or to guide the people of God through a worship service. And, and Psalm 107 and 136 are good examples of that. There are also psalms called the wisdom psalms. And we see Psalm 1 being an example of that, as well as 37 and 49. And then there's these groups of psalms that some people don't really know what to do with because, well, quite frankly, they're called judgment psalms. They're called the imprecatory psalms, where the author is, is praying for God's justice to rain down on the enemies, to consume them. And Christians in the New Testament era, uh, can you have Christians in the Old Testament era? That's a question for you, Andrew. Um, when, as we live in this era of just trying to describe God as love and mercy and forbearance, some people have a hard time dealing with these Psalms because it, on the surface, they're not very loving, it seems. Like why, why would we pray for God to smash the teeth of our enemies? Uh, very, very, very harsh language, to be honest. And then there, the, there are the songs of ascent. And some people say that th- these group of uh, psalms are called the psalm, songs of ascent. Some would say, no, they're, they're not really labeled as that at all. But they're Psalms 120 to 34. And historically, these were the psalms that were sung by men as they moved up from the court of women into the court of men at the temple. So there were 15 steps from the court of women up to the court of men. And every step, the men would sing one of these psalms. That's why they call it the songs of ascent, because they were ascending to the temple. Uh, And so when you read those psalms, 120 to 34, think about that. Keep that in mind. I want to talk a little bit about the construction of the psalms before we uh, have our second breakout session. And the construction of the Psalms, if you've, if you've read through the Psalms um, once or twice or many times, you will, you will see in your Bible that all 150 Psalms are not just one, one big chunk of chapters put together, but they are separated into books. Mm-hmm. And that the Psalms are actually a collection of five books of Psalms. And the first book is Psalms 1 to 41. And a lot of people have labeled those personal problems, the Psalms of David, where he was suffering from personal issues. Well, we we may agree with that or not, but it it was just interesting to me as I started looking through some of these and going, huh, that's an interesting perspective. Book two, Psalm 42 to 72, about community problems, about about the, about the, the people of God as a community. Psalm, or sorry, book three, Psalms 73 to 89, focus in on crisis, both in life and in kingship. So crisis moments, both in life and in kingship. Book four, verse, uh, Psalms 90 to 106, focus in on what some have called the covenantal relationship between the author and the Lord or the, the people of God and the Lord. And then finally, book five, 107 to 150, speak a lot about the historical background of Israel and how God has always provided for them and and protected them, even in the midst of the harshest experiences that they've ever gone through. Okay. 
Um, and that's, that's a, that's an interesting perspective. Um, especially when we look at when some of these books may have been put together. Okay. Um, we know that there are more than one author in the book of Psalms. Uh, we would probably recognize that David had, has written the most number of Psalms. In fact, 75 of them, he's written 75 of them or 75 of them. I'll put it this way, have been ascribed to David. We know that for sure. Uh, 10 have been ascribed to the sons of Korah, 12 to Asaph, uh, Solomon, Moses, uh, Haman, Ethan, all have one uh, attributed to them. And then the rest of the 49, we're not quite sure. Some people say, no, they all belong to David. Uh, some have argued, no, I don't think so. Uh, there's, there's things in there that there's, there's aspects of these 49 that would make us think otherwise. Some have thought that Ezra, Remember, you know who Ezra is, Ezra and Nehemiah in that era of building the second temple. Some have thought that Ezra may have written some of these Psalms uh, and it would fit. Okay. Because most of those Psalms are in books four and five and, and that there's an interesting connection there as we, as we move along. Uh, but at the bottom line, we don't know who wrote them. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, but it's an interesting sidebar question to, to look at if we have time and, and the energy. How do you feel about poetry? How many people love poetry? Put your hand up. Matthew, you love poetry? Oh yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. I loved poetry when I was dating. <laughs> I wrote more poetry than I read, which probably didn't help my writing very much. <laughs> Like you said, be... I'm supposed to raise my hand that I like poetry. Oh, you're supposed to raise your hand. Okay. I, I is, is there a crowd behind your computer that I can't see? Yeah. Cool. All right. There's Taking there. notes and going to fire me later. All right. Um, hey. Hi, Mike. E. Go Packers. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, poetry. I tried poetry. Um, it worked, I think. Marika, did it work? We got married. Yoo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I tried writing it. Uh, didn't, it didn't, didn't stick for very long. Um, like I said earlier, there's a stark difference between westernized or European poetry and the poetry of Israel or Hebrew poetry. Um, we, we know that in Hebrew poetry, it's, it's not very, there's not a very clear and purposeful use of rhyme in meter like we see in westernized or European poetry. Right. Um, and yet in Hebrew poetry, there's a great deal of emphasis on syllables and stressing of tones in particular words. Right. Uh, and, and which makes it really interesting to sing. Um, and I'm not going to have a sing any of Hebrew poetry tonight, maybe <laughs> later on as we work through it. Um, and I talked a little bit about the parallelism uh, in the book of Psalms. We'll also notice that there are word pairs that happen in the book of Psalms. Hi, Joseph. Word pairs. So in Psalm 1, verse 6, for instance, is a good example of this, where it says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see that? The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. So there's, there's some word pairings that go there. We see opposites or extremes used in the Psalms. And an example of that would be Psalm 91, 
five to six. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, for the nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Right? So extremes. We will not fear any of those extreme things. Hi, Janice. Yes. Well, I was actually just wanted to make a point because I'm teaching poetry right now to my little group, and I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it seems like um, modern poetry in North America and Europe is actually veering towards the trends of more Middle Eastern poetry mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, older, more classic styles like Middle English styles, uh, late English styles that you were mentioning earlier, which right. focus a lot on like rhyming couplets and triplets and stuff like that. Yeah. But the modern poetry is is really focusing on um, on syllables and about sound and about mm. the pairing of words that have similar or or um, com- like opposite meanings or, or values or how we value those words in society. So there's a, a, a dichotomy that's going on occurring. And so the more popular uh, types like slam poetry, they're really focused on on the dichotomy or the sound or the the meaning of words as opposed to um, the rhyming, that rhyming aspect. So I just want to mention that, but um, Mm -hmm. if anyone else is a poetry connoisseur, um, they could either agree or disagree with me. Not the expert on it, but I just wanted to mention that. I have to be honest, going into the poetry section of today's introduction was, uh, I'm a little nervous about doing it because I am not a poet and I know it. (laughs) See what I did there? Yeah. Beautiful. Um, good. Thank you, Janice. Uh, iambic pentameter. All right. Uh, Shakespeare, I think was probably the most famous person who used iambic pentameter. Don't ask me what it means. I have no idea. Pentameter means five meters. So five words or five lines or five stanzas. That's all I know. Okay. Um, Roses are red, violets are blue. Anyway, all that stuff. We also see, <laughs> um, but we also see this idea of mirroring of order. So in Psalm 90, verse one to two, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you uh, had formed the earth and the, and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Uh, there's also this idea of uh, using identical phrases at the beginning and at the end of the Psalm. Uh, Psalm 8 is a really good example of this. Psalm 8 verse 1 is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set glory above the heavens. And verse 9 at the end of that Psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, There are a bunch of Psalms that are written like that. Uh, There are repeated refrains in Psalms, like in Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Right. And it's almost like every, every verse has that refrain in it for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse three, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse four, ditto, five, ditto, six, ditto, and on and on and on. Right. So they'll say something and then they'll have this refrain. And you can imagine that if this is a song being sung, it's almost like singing it in the round or splitting the room in two where you would have the men on one side and they would say, and then the women would say, and, and the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And then there'd be another piece and then the steadfast Lord love of the Lord endures forever. You can really see this playing out in, in worship, right? Um, in fact, well, I won't give it away. Um, there's also the, an acrostic way of, uh, that the authors have used for writing Psalms where the first word or letter produces a recognizable pattern. Um, 
And so Psalm 25 is like that. Psalm 19 is like that, where every letter of the Hebrew alphabet begins uh, a, a stanza or a section in Psalm 119. Okay. Um, some have connected the first three books of Psalms, meaning Psalm 1 to 89, to the era of the first temple. That would be Solomon's temple. Okay. And, and that kind of makes sense because if the bulk of those Psalms, 1 to 89, were written by David, kind of makes sense, right? Um, and the rest of the Psalms, so 90 to 150, uh, they, they say is that there's a strong connection to the era of the second temple. So the second temple, if you remember some of your church history, was rebuilt after the exile. Right. So the second temple was actually the building of it was started by Zerubbabel, right? That Nehemiah Ezra era. Okay. And this ties back to what I said earlier, where some people think that Ezra wrote a lot of the unnamed Psalms uh, because he, he was obviously there when the temple was, was being built and, and was finished. We can read that in the book of Ezra it, him, itself. And so the second temple was completed. It was, it was rebuilt by 515 BC. Okay. And it went through a bunch of revisions um, because oftentimes we think of, oh, well, the second temple, that's Herod's temple. Well, yes, but no, like it was first rebuilt completely in 515 BC. And then it went through a bunch of uh, upgrades and renovations Finally, the, the temple that we most associate with in that era is Herod's temple that uh, had been completed uh, just around Jesus's lifetime. Okay. Uh, in fact, we, we could go back in the scripture and see that the Pharisees were mocking Jesus and said, it took us, it took us 40 or 70 years to build this and you're going to redo it in three days. Like that just, that just doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, in fact, we know that Jesus was talking about his body being in the grave and uh, being dead in, in the tomb for three days. Um, so the, the, the second half of Psalms, 90 to 150, they think were compiled around that era of Zerubbabel up to the intertestamental period. Okay. Uh, and so that's, that's an interesting perspective to have it as you, as we, you and I, we read through that. It's also interesting to note that no book is quoted more to help us understand the life of Jesus than the Psalms. No book is quoted more. In fact, Psalms is the most frequently quoted book in the whole New Testament. I'll say that again. Psalms is the most frequently quoted book in the whole New Testament. And it's, it's our guide to private worship and prayer. It's our guide for the church community and its worship, and it's, and it's God speaking to our very real and present circumstances. And so it's, it's interesting that um, when we look at the book of Psalms as a book, and we, we talk about how it was used in corporate worship and when people came to the temple, um, and, and they, they would sing these out loud, and sometimes with great pomp and circumstance, and there, there were lots of instruments and trumpets and all and the people dancing and singing. And it was a, it was a massive festival, right? Well, what changed? Because now it seems like the Psalms are very personable, right? Very personal. Not very many churches sing the Psalms out of their Bible in worship anymore. Right. Uh, and, and a couple of people have suggested 
that it's because of the destruction of the temple in AD 70 that the use of the Psalms in public worship began to decline. Now we see it in the early church. They, 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 they had their own Psalms or some had written their own songs or Psalms. Um, but some church historians think that around 8070 to 8100, there was, there was a gradual decline of using the book of Psalms as a worship hymnal per se. Uh, one, because the Jews no longer had a place to worship. They were forced to worship in synagogues and uh, small homes. Uh, they, they had no more temple worship. Uh, and in some cases, the Christians themselves didn't have a large place of worship until much later in, in church history. In uh, around the 200s, 250s, we start seeing you know, large groups of Christians come together. So there's, there's, there's some thought that the, the destruction of the temple and the beginning of the birth of the church saw a transition of the use of the book of Psalms from corporate worship to personal worship and, or corporate worship, meaning lots and lots of people to small worship, meaning like a house church you know, where there's very few people or a family. Okay. And, and it's an interesting situation, but, but in, in, in this era that we live in right now, um, I don't think any of us would disagree that, the Psalms are just as important for corporate worship as a church uh, as they are as an individual practice of worship uh, in, in our homes or in our cars or, or when we're out walking or whatever we're doing. Okay. So what I want to do now is I'll break you up into your small groups one more time before I bring you back. And I really just want you to, to ask, answer two questions. What's your favorite Psalm? And why? What's your favorite psalm and why? And if you don't have a favorite psalm, pick one really quick. <laughs> okay. But uh, what's your favorite psalm and why? Good. So, what's your favorite psalm? Let me know. Tell me. I guess one be beside. Psalm thirty-four. Come on. Okay, I'll tell you mine. What's that, Tom? Thirty-four. Oh, why? First time I read through all the psalms, I when I read that, it uh, I I cried because it 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 described my Mm -hmm. experience of salvation. And and Christ mm-hmm. opening my heart and um, I uh, the praise in it is what I experienced right afterward and I I will bless okay. the Lord at all times as praise shall continually be in my mouth and I sought mm-hmm. the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears that's in there a few times and the angels encamping around us and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there's some teaching in there teaching others how to how to know the Lord and draw close to Him and um, it, it has mm-hmm. everything in there for me, everything that I, that I, uh, experience in, in being a Christian, mm-hmm. not everything, but most everything. Yeah. 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 Like verse, uh, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed yeah. In spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Anybody else? Uh, What's your favorite Psalm? Uh, 
37, Margaret. 27. Ooh. Okay, so why is that your favorite song, oh, Margaret? I don't know. I think uh, probably during the last part of when David was alive, I uh, uh, I needed I needed that particular song to uh, yeah. calm me. And then after David died, you know, and I needed I needed that song to be. Yeah. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. Anybody else? What's your favorite Psalm? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. Very well known. Very powerful. Yeah. Makes me to lie down in green pastures prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies anoints my head with oil my cup overflows even though i'm in the uh in the valley of the shadow of death you know mm-hmm. he's with us there too i will fear no evil yeah for your rod and your staff they comfort yeah. me yeah excellent anybody else psalm 16 is on my list of favorites. I don't know. Yeah. Is it the top one, Rachel? Well, I'm not sure. It's hard to rank. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yes, Psalm 16 talking about um, the Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. Um, mm-hmm. And then in your presence, there's fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. Mm-hmm. So I have been actually trying to recite that psalm to myself having learned it in the workshop i'm not sure how long ago um just every night before i go to bed go through that psalm and just remind myself of the source of my joy and that the source of my joy needs to be the lord and not you know how well school is going or whether or not everybody was cheery that day or or whatever whatever yeah, the Lord is the source of my joy. Yeah, that's beautiful. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Anybody else? Favorite song? Other, I was looking through the Psalms and I found Psalm 13 where I had mm-hmm. circled and everything like that and underlined. Mm-hmm. I circled how long, how long. And last. Mm-hmm. Light up my eyes, left to sleep and death and, and all that. And then, but, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he dealt out. Yeah. It's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? Mine is the same as Susan's. We're Psalm sisters, I suppose. Psalm sisters. <laughs> I didn't want to be. I said to Emily, it was kind of a boring psalm, and I felt really badly because it's the same psalm that she liked. And because it's so typical, it's just so, it's beautiful. It's, you know, our family, um, we drew upon, we drew upon that psalm for comfort and strength when people died in our family or we were facing tragedy. And, and it was the first song that I memorized. And um, I just think it's beautiful. I still think it's beautiful. So I don't think it's boring, but I just didn't want to have a boring answer. 
Thanks, Janice. It's not boring. Um, so I encourage you to share your answers, even though you may think they're boring. Not boring. Psalm 23. Very good. Anybody else? Favorite Psalm? Marika, you have a favorite Psalm? Um, you know, I, I think uh, Rachel had said, like, it's really hard to choose. I, I'd be right there. So it's not like I have an answer off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But um, reading over Psalm 16 after Rachel had mentioned it, it yeah. that would be up there as, as one of them. And I have not memorized it before, but I think I will after just reviewing it right now. And, uh, I think there's just so many that serve different purposes. Yep. Right. And so they could be favorites at different times, depending on what you're going through at the time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing those. Those are good. I, I'm, I have a bunch of favorite ones. It's hard for me to pick. Like I already said earlier, Psalm 13 is one of my tops. Psalm 37 is one of my tops. And uh, I won't be preaching this Sunday, but I'll be preaching the next two Sundays and I'll be picking Psalm 37. Uh, I've preached on it once with us. Uh, the first couple, first couple verses, maybe I think up to verse eight, and then uh, I'll just pick up in verse nine and do a bunch more. But Psalm 37 is, is right up there uh, with me kind of for the same reasons that you said, Tom, it kind of encapsulates a lot, a lot for me. Um, verse 39, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. He helps them and delivers them, delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Yeah. Excellent. What, thank you everybody for sharing your Psalms. I appreciate that. What I've done in the chat is I've given you uh, a PDF or a word document. You can have both. Uh, just some people like to work in words. Some people like to work in PDF. No big deal. It's a, it's the four R's and this is for you to do over the next week. It's not homework. I will not be checking it. There is not a section next week where we set aside and break you into rooms and go, okay, let's go over those four R's. This is just for you between you and the Lord. Right. And they're essentially four questions that would be really good. I think for, for you to work through. So the first R is resolve. What will you do differently now you know, now that you know? What will you do differently? And then there's the reflect piece. On, on what, uh, reflect on what the psalm is saying and its implication upon your life and your worship. And then respond, what does this psalm teach you about yourself and about God? And then fourthly, read the psalm at least once a day for the entire week. And I know that most, if not all of you are already doing Bible reading. Totally cool. Uh, but as we work through the Psalms, this is every week uh, when we work through one or, or a portion of one, this will be the work page that I would encourage you to, to build upon. Keep them. Uh, Three-hole punch them, get all nerdy and dividers and the whole thing, or keep them folded up in a book somewhere. Up to you. or. Don't use them up to you. Uh, but I offer these to you to, to help you think about, to meditate, to chew on, uh, to worship, uh, whether you're driving or, well, maybe not driving, walking, <laughs> uh, doing all these things. Um, but just to, just to keep that going on in the background. 
and uh, to really begin to steep ourselves really well into this book called the Psalms or the hymnal of God. And that's all I have for us this evening. So thanks for being here. I'll close in a word of prayer and then uh, we can fellowship if we wish, or you can sign off and go to bed if you wish. Either way, it's up to you. So let's pray. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the book of Psalms. And and I'm astonished, Father, at, at just the, the, the amount of time that the book of Psalms uh, covers and the amount of uh, authors that are in it. Uh, and I'm even thankful for those Psalms that we don't know who wrote, and yet they are still heartfelt, soul-felt uh, Psalms that are written down and, and meant to be sung and meditated upon because they remind us of who you are, what you've done, uh, the promises that you've given, uh, times that you have restored your people, that you have saved your people, that you have protected your people, even in the harshest realities that they lived in. And Father, that's so, just so transferable even to us, to me today, that we see our society changing almost hour by hour in some regards. And uh, I th often think, Lord, just it's, it's not too much longer where things will begin to crumble around us or it will get exponentially harder for us to be out in the open with our Christianity. Uh, and I'm reminded, Father, that uh, your son even told the disciples who followed him, you will be hated on account of me. And that is a very real thing that we need to remember. Uh, David felt it, Father. Um, Jesus felt it. We will feel it. So I pray that you would help us to remember these very personal moments that we will experience in the book of Psalms. I pray, Lord, that your word would work a mighty work in our minds and our hearts. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us, Father, not just to gain head knowledge, but help us to practice this uh, this book. Help us to live this book out in our with our friends, with our families, with our coworkers. Um, even when no one is apparently watching, help us to live out what we are learning about you in this wonderful book. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these people. And I pray that you would continue to bless them and keep them. I pray, Father, that you would continue to shine your face upon them and give them peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.